You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two putts from victory. Only needs one. Welcome, golfers, to the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. Um, today, super excited to have uh, special guests, Ryan Fox, on the call. Hi, Ryan. How you doing, Oi? Yeah, very well, thanks. And yourself? Uh, a little tired, to be fair, but uh, I'm doing all right. I'm sure, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, we're currently um, filming this or shooting this in... Uh, the well in between Christmas and New Year, so um, tell tell everyone the news that happened just before Christmas. Yeah, so we had our first child uh, on the eighteenth of December. So, um, like most new parents, our uh, sleeps a premium at the moment, and um, yeah, we're having a a little bit of a difficult night so far as well. She's uh, um, hasn't wanted to settle too too much tonight, and probably a bit too much stimulation around Christmas. So. Hopefully we can get into bed at some point tonight, and Mum and Dad can get some sleep. Yeah, those uh, those days were uh, you'll remember them well. The uh, being able to sleep, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Through my experience, it does get a little bit better, so you'll be all right. I hope so. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, how has um, how has like things changed for you being a father? Like, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the uh, your whole world changes with, you know, you've now got someone that didn't exist for us a week and a half ago that's now taking most of our attention and, um, you know, still getting used to that. But, um, you know, it's a pretty cool experience. And I guess in terms of the golf side of things, you know, we still got to work out what's going on. Obviously, we've got this thing called COVID as well, which is having a pretty massive impact on things. So, um, you know, in, in normal situation, it might be, you know, all right to, you know, to have a baby and be able to travel and everything like that. But, uh, you know, with how things are looking at the moment, schedule-wise, it, it, you know, looks a little bit different with the COVID travel along with having a little one and stuff like that. So scheduling and all of that stuff's going to be pretty difficult next year, I think. Yeah, definitely. Will you plan to sort of, well, if you can, take 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 your wife and, and little girl with you a lot of the time if you can? Yeah, I mean, the, the first part of the year, obviously not. Um, you know, I'll go to the Middle East in, in January by myself. Um, and, you know, the frustrating thing for me is we've got this two-week quarantine thing in New Zealand, which is obviously great once you're in New Zealand and everything feels relatively normal. But, um, you know, getting in and out pretty br- – well, getting in is pretty brutal at the moment. So I've kind of got to pick and choose when I, when I travel. And, um, you know, the Middle East events are obviously – too good to to miss at the start of next year and um you know the plan is all going well for us to come up and and stay at our place in the uk and be based up there um you know sort of come april time but i guess with the position the uk is at the moment i'm not sure my wife will uh well would be prepared to take our young one up there so um i guess we'll we'll deal with that when we come to it but I guess like 2020 was, I think 2021 is going to be a bit of a moving target in terms of schedule and everything like that. You know, that I know the European tour has got to schedule out, but um, you don't know how things can change in that respect. If things get worse or if things get better, you know, well, hopefully things get better and everything gets a bit easier. But if, you know, things get worse, it might get a bit harder, you know, for a little while first. Yeah, for sure. It's um, yeah, it's this crazy times, isn't it? And um, a, a logistic nightmare for you going into next year. For- yeah, it certainly is, especially being down here. Um, you know, obviously we've done a great job in a COVID sense, but um, you know, I think 
the New Zealanders and the and the Australians on tour are almost getting punished a little bit for it because um, you know we want to be able to go home and a lot of people you know travel from home. I normally do the first sort of third of the year traveling out of New Zealand and um, you know that's obviously getting harder and harder to do and and Aussies the same. So mm. you know, hopefully you know this vaccine sorts itself out and sorts COVID out and we can get back to doing a little bit of normal travel, which would be very very nice. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you normally play in the um, uh, Aussie Aussie Open and the Vic Open in the start uh, start of the year? Yeah, as well? so no, yeah, it's normally a pretty nice schedule for me. I'm normally back home over summer and then um, over the New Year, Christmas, New Year break. Uh, I generally take most of December off and then uh, get back into it and head up to the Middle East and then back for those Aussie events. Um, which, you know, the Vic Open in Perth were normally in February and it was kind of a nice little run to play three in the Middle East, some in Aussie and then come home and play. Normally the New Zealand Open was on early March and then I'd have a little bit of a break again before heading back to Europe in April. But um, with, uh, you know, COVID situation again, all those big Aussie events have been been canned and, yeah, it it sort of thins the schedule out a little bit for me at the start of next year. And um, as I said, I kind of got to pick and choose when I travel as well with with the quarantine situation. So it might be three three and done for me for a little while at the start of the year, unfortunately. That's a shame. uh, Those Aussie events are good. I've always enjoyed them. Vic yeah, they are. They've treated me pretty well over the years. Um, you know, Vic last, oh, Vic at the start of the Vic Open at the start of this year, and obviously Perth in 2019. So, um, yeah, hopefully they get back on the schedule for, you know, I guess 20 into 2021, 2022 season. Because you know, I know a lot of guys enjoy coming down, and I, I certainly enjoy playing those events as well. Absolutely, and that's your first uh, victory on the European tour was last year at Perth. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was certainly nice to get over the line. I've gone, you know, very close once and you know, had a couple of other sort of outside chances. So it was certainly nice to get the job done in Perth uh, last year. Get in there. Good. OK, um, Ryan, can you sort of give, give myself and the listeners a bit of an insight on what a, I was going to say a normal week on tour? But let, let's say like in Europe, you know, like a, I don't know, a, an English event or something like that or yeah, just a normal week. Give us an insight of, like, typically when you arrive, what those days leading up to the tournament look like. What 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 does that look like? Your team, who who do you sort of take with you? Who is your team, etc. Yeah, so uh, I guess a normal week for me would be, um, you know, I travel on a Monday. Um, you know, Monday's generally a day a day off unless you know I've missed <clears> the cut the week before and sort of on the road for a few weeks. But, you know, on a normal week, Monday would be a travel day and completely off. Um, you know, and then maybe even, you know, if it was a UK event and I could drive to it, it might even be a whole Monday off and drive or or fly on a Tuesday morning. Um, and then I guess Tuesday and Wednesday depend on if you're in the Pro-Am or not and, and normal circumstances, if you, <laughs> if you will. Um, so, you know, if I'm in the Pro-Am, I'll, I'll do a little bit of practice and some, some drills and stuff on on Tuesday and then Wednesday will be the pro-am and just do a little bit of work around that and obviously get into it on on Thursday and you know generally on my day off on Monday I like to do sort of a heavier gym session um that gives me enough time to sort of recover I I I don't like the feeling of being tight or being sore um during the week and and you know tournament days and then you know I'll try to do 
at least one other sort of light, you know, golf specific mobility session um, during the week, depending on, on how I feel. Um, I always, for me personally, I feel like, you know, I'd rather save my energy in that regard. If I've had a few weeks in a row on the road and, you know, that gym session feels a little bit too hard, I'd probably rather just sit in my hotel room and have a, have a nap or something like that. But in an ideal world, you'd be sort of, one heavy and two maybe lightish gym sessions at or at least one lightish gym session throughout the week. And um, I don't really have a set routine too much in, you know, tournament days in terms of what I do after a round or anything like that. I obviously got my set warm up, which is normally, you know, about an hour before a little bit of a dynamic warm up, and then, um, you know, do some technical putting stuff on the green and then, you know, hit balls, chip, putt and then, then go that that process doesn't normally take too long and you know for me after that it's depending on how I've played during the day if I've played great and everything feels really good again I'll, I'll prefer to save my energy than stand on the range and beat balls or or do some you know spend an hour or hour and a half on the putting green but you know if there's something that I felt like I can do a bit better um, that day then you now I'll go and spend some time on until I've kind of until I'm kind of happy and some days that might be 10 minutes some days it might be an hour, you know, depending on what it is. And there are some days if you play really, really bad, it's better to just leave and think about something else for a while. But I guess that would be my normal routine. And I guess who I've normally got for a week is obviously Caddy, um, you know, probably the, one of the most important parts of the team. And, um, you know, my manager, Ian Keenan, in normal circumstances would come to, probably half the events I play. Um, he's got Yost Lawson, uh, Shabanka Sharma and, and Ben Arn, who plays on the PGA Tour. So he splits his time between between us. And if it's a big European event, then he'll be with, with Yost and Shabanka and myself at, at the event. And he'll obviously spend some time at the bigger PGA Tour events with Ben as well. Um, you know, I've got a physio who I share with Yost and Bert Wiesberger as well, who again travels to probably 10 to 12 events a year. Um, again, they're generally the, the bigger events. So if he's around, I generally spend an hour to an hour and a half with him every day during tournament weeks. Um, obviously, part of the warm-up before playing and then also um, do a bit of stuff with him, with him after the round. Um, and that I've, my first year on tour, I really struggled body-wise um, you know, with playing 30 events a year and um, you know, having a having a private physio that you, you get some proper time with made a massive difference. Um, and certainly someone that would be part of my team, you know, going forward for a long time. And then, you know, the only other person that will normally travel to an event will be um, Marcus, my coach, but he's based in New Zealand. So, he, you know, he might come to six or seven events a year and might pick a, a tournament where I've got a week off beforehand, come up to London, do some practice at Fox Hills where I'm based there. And then we'll head to an event and he'll probably stay for, you know, the, the practice days to the event and maybe watch the first round and then go home. So, um, you know, logistically being from New Zealand, it can be a little bit hard at times, but, um, you know, I've worked with Marcus for the last, well, oh, I'll probably get this wrong, eight years or so, eight, nine years or something like that. So, <laughs> Um, you know, he knows my game inside out. We've got pretty good at uh, doing stuff over the phone and, you know, over FaceTime and all of that stuff. Technology makes a massive difference these days with that. And again, in normal circumstances, my wife would normally travel most weeks. Um, 
you know, I I guess I noticed this year being up in the, the UK swing events, I, I did 12 weeks on my own um, and I certainly noticed the difference. I did, didn't like my own company quite as much on tour as um, or didn't enjoy it as much on tour in my own company as I normally do. So, you know, most weeks she will, she will play, uh, she will travel with me and, She's got a lot of friends on tour as well. And normally there's a few of the other girls that travel. So we normally have a have a pretty good time socially in terms of going out to dinner and catching up with people. Um, and that certainly makes the weeks a little less monotonous at times. Yeah, I bet. 12 weeks on your own must be must be tough, man. <laughs> That's for yeah, sure. it was it, it was strange. I mean, obviously, you know, in April we never knew we were well, we didn't know if we were going to play again for the rest of the year. And then obviously those events, the UK swing events started up in July this year. Um, and I sort of made the call going, well, if I don't go up and play some of them, I might not play for the rest of the year. Um, and I knew I was in the, uh, the U S open at that point. Um, and obviously Wentworth and Scottish open and stuff like that were looking like they were going to be, be on the schedule. So I didn't want to miss those. And so, yeah, with the quarantine back home, I certainly didn't want to do, uh, you know, go up for four events and come home and then have to go up for another four and, and basically lose four weeks of my, my life sitting in a hotel room in New Zealand. So mm. well, we made the call that a 12-week trip was was doable um, and that was probably my limit at the end of it. I played 11 tournaments and took uh, one of the – I took the Valderrama week off, I think, one, one of those weeks in the middle off, but played six in a row all – in the UK, um, then took a week off, played Portugal, US Open, uh, Ireland, Scotland, and Wentworth in a row, and then jumped on a plane and did two weeks of quarantine when I got home. So it was effectively a fourteen-week trip, um, you know. And I, you know, as I said, I, I probably didn't enjoy my own company as much as I thought I would, and um, you know, it was certainly be nice going forward to get back to some kind of normal and have have the family be able to travel at some point next year and come to events and, um, you know, do some of that social stuff that, you know, I know a lot of people enjoy at tournaments. Mm. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, great. Okay. That's, um, that's, that's fab. You mentioned Fox Hills. That's a pretty cool place, isn't it? That's, that's where you're based in London. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I've been there ever since I started on challenge tour in 2015. So I think I did a little bit of practice out there in 2015 and then we moved uh or sort of moved to London for six months in 2016 when I was playing challenge to a full time and um you know Fox Hills was nice enough to let me play and practice out there and um I've really enjoyed being out there it's a great facility 36 holes um you know they've got the little nine hole par three course which I spend a lot of time on um it's absolutely brutal that that course um a lot of fun to play and i certainly noticed if i spent a week out there my wedge play gets a whole lot better which is which is nice and they got a great gym facility there as well so i can kind of you know make a whole day of it get to go to the gym do a little bit of practice get on the course and um you know normally i like to play with the uh, with the pros there um they got a really good bunch of pros and assistant pros there so we normally try to sort out a game in the summer after after they finish work and grab a cart and try to get around in a cup, you know, two hour, two or three hours after work, which is really good fun. Nice. No, that's good. It's uh, yeah, I was there last week with Mark Bullies. He, um, he, he coaches out there. So uh, yeah, it was, oh, yeah, it's a good, good, good old place. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've done a great <clears> job. <throat> I got the chipping green there now. You know, the range is decent enough. 
Um, and I guess for me, the golf courses are quite different. I think long cross is, is pretty tight and strategic. And I feel like Bernard, I can kind of just get driver out and give it a bit of a bash around. And um, it's kind of nice to, to be able to mix it up a little bit. And it's not long, it's, it, but it's pretty tight. And you've certainly got to hit some shots around both of the courses. Love it. No, that's cool. It was, um, I was very fortunate a couple of years ago to meet Marcus as well over the UK. Marcus Wales. Yeah, yeah, he's a good man. He's spent a, lot of, he spent a lot of time over there as well playing. He, he played Challenge Tour for quite a few years as well. Yeah, decent player, wasn't he? I think by the sounds yeah. of it. But it was, it, I think he was, he was world number one amateur um, back when Tiger was an amateur. Oh, really? So, yeah. So he was, uh, he was a proper player back in the day. Um, yeah. And he you know, had, a, I guess, an almost you know, professional career. He probably played for 14, 12 or 14 years. Uh, on various tours around the world and never quite cracked it but you know was always good enough to keep going and um, mm. you can see that in his coaching he certainly you know he knows his stuff technically but he you know for me he knows his way around tournament golf and you know sometimes it doesn't have to be perfect to be playing good it's you know it's a really nice balance for me with with Marcus the technical side of things and sort of the I guess the performance or mental side of things as well around tournament golf. Hmm. That's cool. He's a cool cat. I like him. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you, you mentioned your caddy. Have you got like the same caddy for, for all events or is it, um, have you got different caddies? How does that work? Yeah. I, I normally have the same, the same caddy. So this year was a little bit funny. I had a, a Kiwi guy who was, um, who was caddying for me and then, he sort of made the decision around COVID not to not to come up um, to the UK for those events. And I actually had a guy caddy for me, Chris Selfridge, used to caddy for Michael Howie, but I also played Challenge Tour with him in 2015 and 2016. And unfortunately, he had a, a couple of injuries and um, that kind of derailed his career a little bit. But, um, you know, he's, he wanted to still be in the golf side of things and he – he caddied for me those UK events and it's worked really well. And, um, you know, it'll continue on to next year, hopefully provided everything goes all right, COVID wise, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, it was, I guess, nice to have, have, a, I guess, a mate on the bag. Um, you know, I knew him as a player before he was a caddy or anything like that. And, um, mm. you know, it was a bit of fun, those, those UK events. And it certainly would have, would have been tough. Um, you know, if we didn't get along, cause, you spend a lot of time in your caddy's company in those in those twelve weeks away. You know you weren't really allowed to socialise with anyone else, even though we we're in a bubble. You were sort of socially distanced in a bubble, and the only person you were, you know, really supposed to get close to was your caddy. And um, mm. yeah, I spent a lot of time with Chris there, and you know we had a we had a lot of fun and weren't too thick of each other after twelve weeks in each other's pockets. So that was pretty good, actually. Happy days, happy days. And and Stevie Williams, did he carry for you for a bit, or was that just like a one-off, or what was the relationship there? I've had I've had Steve caddy for me for probably three or four events. Okay, uh, he's done the New Zealand Open the last three years in a row for me. Um, and unfortunately, I haven't really lived up to to his reputation in a couple of those. And um, <laughs> he caddied for me at an Aussie PGA as well. Uh, in the 2018, 2017, 2018, maybe, um, which is, I mean, to have someone like that on the bag is, is pretty awesome. 
know, he's, he's very old school um, and probably a little bit different than what I'd normally have as a caddy, but I think that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, you know, and I think I spent the, the first week with him at the New Zealand Open just asking Tiger questions and he was pretty open about everything and, um, you know, some of the incredible shots Tiger hit and just just how good he was, um, you know, for that 10-year period Stevie caddied for him. And, um, you know, Steve's a great guy. I still keep in touch with him socially as well. Um, and, you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's been around the traps a little bit in the caddy world. I think he said <laughs> he, he retired after doing it for 40 years, which is pretty impressive. And, you know, four number ones in the world, including Tiger and God knows how many wins in that time. So, um, you know, the stories he had and just the experience he had, it was great to learn off him. I bet, I bet you learned a lot. What was the sort of one biggest thing you learned from him? Oh, it's just, it's, it's more just how positive he is and how direct everything for him is, okay, this is your target. This is where you got to hit it. There's no worried about, what could happen, what's, what has happened. It was just all really in the present and really um, really focused on the shot at hand, um, which you know, I guess all golfers know how, how easy it is to get sort of your mind going and think about you know, other stuff, you know, whether it's a bad swing you've made or oh, if I make two birdies, I'm going to have my best score ever. And you know, golf just kind of, fucks with your head for want of a better term mm. and you know Steve is just so you know just so in that present and um yeah you could see why you know he he made makes so many big calls as well you know obviously I didn't have any you know big calls that he made for me as such but I know he I remember him calling me off a shot we get I get over a shot he goes eight iron's perfect and I get over it and he goes, hold on, the wind changed. Called me off the shot just as I was about to pull the trigger. And I don't know any other caddy that would, would do that. And he would do the same thing to Tiger. And it just shows the, you know, the attention to detail and everything that he has. And it was just nice to be able to, to take a little bit of that and, and also just a little bit on you know, how Tiger practiced and stuff like that. And you know, practicing the impossible shots, which he then pulled off in tournaments and everyone goes, goes wow. But no, Tiger has Tiger had actually got to a point where he, I don't think there was a shot that he he hadn't hit in practice at some level. So he he knew he could pull them off in a tournament, and it's just all those little bits of information were were absolute gold, really. Mm-hmm. Was Tiger an idol like growing up for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was what well, I, I was in school. I was thirteen or fourteen and just joined a golf club. You know when in 2000 when, when he went mental basically. And, um, you know, he was, I remember reading, I think it's how I play golf book, um, you know, in the early two thousands and tried to model everything off that. So yeah, he was a, he was a massive idol. And I do remember the first time Steve caddied for me. I, I, I mean, I shouldn't have had these thoughts, but I've, you know, going, well, he's watched the best golf anyone's ever played and he's got to watch me hack it around the, the golf course in New Zealand Open. It just didn't <laughs> quite quite feel feel right. I felt a little bit, probably under pressure, if anything. But, um, you know, Steve Steve put me to ease pretty quickly with that and um, it was just cool to, to get the insights and, and the experience that he's had on the bag. Yeah, I bet. I bet. It's... um. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, tiger. Obviously, it's a. Uh, I'm similar age to you, and like growing up, same sort of thing in 2000. So that's cool. Who's um? Have you played with Tiger, or like who's the who's the best player you've played with, and why? Um, I played a, a hole with Tiger in a practice round, which was kind of a funny experience. I was, yeah. was at the Open last year at Port Rush, and we're standing on the first tee, and I was playing with a couple of Aussie boys who qualified for their first major, Dimi Papadados and Jake McLeod. And we booked an early tea time on, I think, the Tuesday. And we get down there and the starter comes to me and goes, I'm sorry, Mr. Fox, but we've had a little bit of a screw up with tea times. You have to book practice times for the Open. Um, and he goes, oh, Mr. Woods is off now and you'll be off at 7.50 or whatever the hell the time was. And we all look around and Tiger's just sort of hanging at the back oh, leaning up against the grandstand. We've sort of gone, we, we didn't even know. We're like, oh shit, okay. <laughs> and so Tiger Tiger doesn't say a thing the whole time. He gets up, hits, stripes his five wood down the middle. You know, Marcus is there with me. He gets a good video and we all kind of get their phones out. And then Tiger just looks up and goes, boys, I'm only playing the first. You can join me if you want. And Dimmy, before he's got the end of the, end of the question out, Dimmy's already said yes. And none of us are ready. And I get up on the tee and, you know, everything's going a little bit. Hit two iron sort of in the left rough and hack it onto the green and two putt for – or three putt for bogey. And I, I had a brief chat to Tiger walking up the up the hole and ask him, you know, what he thought of the course. And he thought – you know, he said he thought it was really good and blah, blah, blah. And then he had his nine iron to four foot, tapped it in for birdie and said, good luck, boys. Have a good week and walked off. <laughs> so it was kind of a strange experience. Um Pretty cool experience as well, but in, I guess in the tournament, the best player I've I've played with is DJ. I played with him at Abu Dhabi uh, my first year on tour in 2017. On the Saturday, I got paired with him and Ricky Fowler, which was a nice. sort of welcome to the European tour group. Um, <laughs> and you know, DJ shot 64 like it was absolutely nothing um, and made golf look ridiculously easy as he seems to have done over the back end of this year as well. So, um, yeah, it, it was, that was a pretty cool experience and I, I didn't disgrace myself. I think I had a bogey free 69 that day and I beat Ricky who had 71. So it was, uh, it was a pretty good day all around. I think it was, it might've been my birthday or, or the day before my birthday that, that day as well. So it was a, a pretty cool experience. I think it might've been my 30th birthday actually that day. So it was, um, a pretty cool yeah pretty good way to celebrate that love it <laughs> interesting stuff good stuff in um in downtime your your sort of hobby from what i can see uh, one of your hobbies is fishing is that right oh yeah tell yeah. me tell me about fishing as a non-fisherman i don't get it i don't get why what, what where's the the fun in it so t- tell me about it why oh, like yeah why is that your hobby and, and what's so great about it to be honest, I don't really know. I always fished as a kid. I used to fish with my granddad and then my dad used to token take me fishing when I was a kid because I used to pester him about it, but he hates it. Um, and then I kind of forgot about it when I was like 15. And then uh, my my wife's family has a beach place in the Bay of Islands in New Zealand, which is about three hours north of Auckland. And, um, you know, the... F- in the first few months that we were going out 12 or 14 years ago or whatever the hell it was, um, I went up to the Bay of Islands with them and her dad was a bit of a fisherman. He took, took me out then and I sort of found my passion for it again. And 
sort of haven't looked back, I guess, in that regard, got properly obsessed with it. And um, I guess for me, it, I love being out on the ocean. I think that's probably it for me. And I like the challenge of it. I, I don't fish with bait. I fish with lures, so pieces of plastic or metal and try to, to fool the fish in that regard. So I like sort of the challenge of it and trying to catch fish. I actually don't particularly like the uh, – I don't, I'm not a massive fan of eating them. I like sashimi and I like certain fish and stuff like that, but um, I'd probably rather have a steak than a, than a fillet of fish. Um, but I just love the challenge of catching them. And I guess the second part of it for me is it's an escape. And I think if you talk to most, most sports people, they need an escape. And I know it sounds weird for golf because, you know, for most people, golf is an escape from work, but you know, I, for me, if I go out fishing, I can forget about everything to do with golf and I can just fish. You know, I can be completely at peace no matter how bad a run I've had playing golf or whatever. I can go out on the ocean with my mates and talk a bunch of crap and, you know, try to catch some fish and enjoy the, enjoy the challenge of trying to catch them, enjoy trying to catch big fish. And I, I'm not worried about keeping big fish. I'll just take a photo with it and throw it back. And I guess that's it for me was just yeah, you know, the escape of it and then, you know, the, the challenge of it. I know lots of other guys have surfing or music. You know, Eric Van Royen's mad into the guitar and, I, like, I've got a little bit of that. I play guitar a little bit and a bit of drums and stuff like that. And, you know, guys like George Corsair, um, Rafa Cabrera Bay are mad into surfing and that's their escape. Um, and that's just what you just need. You just need something like that, and fishing happens to be it for me. You know, you're busy, busy, busy all the time, aren't you? So having that just getaway, it can just get, you know, switch off from everything is key. Yeah, it is. And it does, as I said, it sounds weird because golf is an escape for a lot of people. But, hmm. you know, personally, you know, when you do as good as, as awesome as golf is, as fun as golf is, if you do it every day and think about it every day, it's going to get on your nerves. And I'm, I, I'm sure everyone that's listening, everyone that's played around the golf has got frustrated with it at some point. And again, if you turn it into a job, that frustration can get out of hand. So it's, you know, it is nice having that escape and something else to do. And for me, that just happens to be fishing. Love it. It's funny talking of the escape and your hobbies. One of my biggest sort of hobbies escape is stock car racing in the UK. So it's quite oh, yeah. a big, um, and oh, you, you get it. You'd get along with Steve well. He does, he loves that back. Steve Williams loves that back here. Yeah, the because Auckland is like they they've got like a massive team there. They're like really good, I think, haven't they? You... Yeah, we've got two two big tracks in Auckland. Yeah, and I've been and I've actually been and watched Steve race there when he won the Auckland Champs. Oh no! Way. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. He's he's a pretty talented driver, and um, yeah, I I, I get the uh, adrenaline rush that that brings. Fishing doesn't um, quite have the adrenaline rush, but I think I, I, I could probably, I probably don't need that adrenaline rush all the time. No, I'm sure. Well, I, one of my dreams is like we send a, a team over from GB to play the, um, or to race in the team champs. I think it's January, Feb. So my goal is definitely to get over there one, uh, one year to watch that. <laughs> nice. Should be good. All right, Ryan, then talk to me. Let's go. Let's talk about playing sports growing up 
Um, I'm, I'm sure you know where this this may be going um, with you know having a uh, a parent who is probably one of the one of well, he's certainly one of the greatest uh, All Blacks of all times. He's uh, um, yeah. Tell us tell us a little bit about uh, his influence and the perhaps I, I don't. I don't know perhaps where I'm going, but I've got two words here written down. There's legacy and there's resilience. And I see like you have a lot of resilience. It's, you seem to be very sort of, I don't know, just like he's going far this boy. And I like that. And I wonder if that comes from the All Blacks. And yeah, uh, be it, like being from, coming from Wales, loving rugby, um, all, all Blacks have sort of always been my favourite team. So tell us a little bit about that. I had two two people in my family that represent New Zealand in different sports. So uh, obviously I'm old man with the All Blacks, but my mum's father played cricket for New Zealand from 1937 to 1936 to 1953. So there's, there's definitely some sporting genes in our family. And I played a lot of cricket and rugby growing up. They were my um, but I always wanted to be a sports sportsman growing up. I just it took me a little while to work out what sport that was going to be. Um, and I guess you know I was I was pretty lucky um, you know to have to be able to learn and I guess learn without thinking about it from people who've played sport at the top level. You know, Dad used to caddy for me a bit, and my granddad used to. Um, you know, before he got ill, he used to bowl to me and come and watch me at cricket and everything like that. So I sort of had that high performance stuff. I wouldn't say drilled into me, but I, you know, I, I probably had a bit more of an idea of what sport was and how to perform at a decent level well before most people. Not that I ever, not that I necessarily did it, but I, I think I understood it a little bit better. And when dad started caddying for me in golf, um, you know, when I was sort of 17, 18, he'd come and play amateur, he'd come and caddy from the amateur tournaments around New Zealand. And, you know, I think I learned a lot about mental toughness. You know, dad was always one of the ones he, he said he wasn't necessarily the most talented person, but he used to work the hardest at it. Um, and, you know, mentally he was as strong as anyone, I think. And um, I might not have quite got his work, work ethic in some ways, but I, I think I certainly got, or, or learned a lot of the mental toughness from him. And I was always really good at match play events and hated, hated being beaten. I think that was just the environment we grew up in. You know, we'd have massive table tennis, tennis, anything battles between me and dad, even when I was 10. You know, I'd be, I'd be wanting to beat dad. And I, I mean, the first time I beat dad at golf off the stick when I was about 15, I don't think he talked to me for two days. So that's... <laughs> kind of you know that's what our, our house was always just super competitive growing up you know even even when it came to eating dad used to eat really fast because he was from boarding school grew up in boarding school and if you didn't eat fast you didn't get seconds so it always became i'd want to eat as fast and try to beat dad i mean it wasn't a good habit to pick up growing up but it was the uh it was the competitiveness as competitiveness of i guess our our, our family life you know I was never pushed to do anything, but it was just, you know, if we did anything, if we played pool, if we played snooker, if we played table tennis, you know, anything was about, you know, how good you can do something. Can you beat dad or can I beat mum or whatever? And that's what it, 
I think I just grew up in that environment. And, you know, as you said, probably resilience, there's, there was a little bit of that in there. I had to learn how to lose pretty quickly because I got my ass kicked quite a few times and, um, you know, had, had a few really close calls and table tennis and stuff. And it took me a long time to be able to beat dad and, in any of those sports, which, um, you know, I guess is a pretty good learning experience for a kid and um, something that I, I could probably take take into, you know, I guess, professional sport and professional golf going forward. Mm. Yeah, I love that. It's, um, yeah, that competitive edge is sort of, yeah, because you've had so many failures in losing and, like, that, that brings in a lot of resilience. The, um, I don't think it was toxic either. Like, it was it was good competitiveness. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, it was, sounds good. Yeah, you know, you know, it wasn't dad would win at all costs and cheat or anything like that. You know, it was, he'd, apart from the golf thing, he'd always say good game if I beat him and stuff. There was, you know, it was learning how to win and learning how to lose and all of that stuff. But there was, you know, just that, I guess dad was the same, that innate want to win. And the or I guess more the hatred of losing. You just both of us just absolutely hated losing. And golf's kind of a funny one because you lose way more than you win. And it's kind of been hard to get used to in that respect. But um, you know, and all the other sports, no matter how good a day you played, if you scored a hundred in cricket and you still lost, it was still a shit day. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's winning. That's the key. The um, one of my favourite books is Legacy. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of that book, but um, it's it's an all black book, and um, it gives a lot of insights to um, the the sort of mantras the all blacks have, and like you know what one of the mantras is like, or I think the first one is no dickheads, like in the team environment. Yeah. No, and I, I just. I, I've learned so much from that book. Is there a um, a mantra that you perhaps your dad has sort of taught you, or you know, or you've read or heard about, or you know, picked up from someone that sticks in your mind that will go on your gravestone? Do you know what I mean? Your well, Dad's one for me growing up, and it was more about work ethic than everything else. There's probably two, and I mean, one's a cliche is I've got to get this right. Um, Hard work will always beat talent if talent doesn't work hard. I think that's right. Yeah, love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's yeah, that's right. Um and so yeah, he was always about no matter how talented you are at something, you've still gotta you've still gotta put the work in. Mm. Um and the other one again along the same lines is I, I probably I probably like this one the most. He said, you know, always do do what you can to be the best you can be. And if you don't succeed at that, then it doesn't matter. You've done all you can. You can still hold your, yeah. you can still be proud even if you don't succeed because you've done everything you can. You know, for him, the one that he wouldn't want to see is you know, if you don't, if you don't try, if you don't do the work to be the best you can be, You'll, you know, if you don't succeed, there'll always be a little what if, and the what if's the worst part. Mm. You know, yeah, if you try and fail, that's fine, but if you don't give it, if you don't put enough effort in and fail, there's always that little bit in the back of your mind that oh, I wish I'd have done this, I wish I'd have done that differently. And you know, you're always going to have that in, in sport and in life, but you know, dad was always, you know, about the working hard side of things. and now, if you work hard and do everything you can and, and it doesn't happen, well, you can still be proud of that. Um, 
you know, but you, but you're also giving yourself the best opportunities to succeed if you do that. Mm. And imagine having a little daughter, 10 days ago, whatever it is that like that, the hunger for that working hard is even more important now because it's not about you anymore. No, exactly. I don't know how that's going to play out going forward. Um, I think it's worked both ways for, for people going, you know, in, in sport, you know, it gives them, you know, sometimes that nice little distraction and, um, you know, kicks them on into, into really good things. And then I think sometimes a lack of sleep and a few other things might, might make it go the other way. So um, I guess we'll see how that goes in January, but um, you know, I guess there's, maybe a little bit of extra pressure, a little bit of extra motivation. I don't know, you know, don't know how to term it, you know, to, to do all that work and probably a bit more of a balancing act as well. Cause I obviously want to spend time at home and, and see my daughter and everything like that. So we'll um, probably got a little bit to learn going into next year, but um, lots of exciting stuff. And uh, hopefully I come out on the good side of fatherhood and it, and it sort of takes that next step further in the, in the golf career. But um, I guess we'll see what happens. I'm sure you will just, uh, yeah, carry on being you and you'll just be just fine. I'm sure. Um, Ryan, just to finish off very conscious of time. Um, I just want to just dive into practice um, and putting specific if we can, just because, um, yeah, that, that's, that's what I do. And it is the read it, roll it, hold it podcast at the end of the day. So um, you probably so- picked the wrong person for that. If you've looked at my putting stats. <laughs> well, well, that was something I was going to ask you is like the the practice for putting. And then obviously you've got, you've got close to, I say your goal. I don't know your goal, but you've got close to being really good. And like you hit the long ball, like you, how do you hit it so far? I want to know that as well. But then what what's missing? What's missing your game? Obviously it's fine margins, but what's missing? And then how are you going to put um, the, the putting's what's missing. Okay. Um, you know, I've, I guess for me, I've probably never enjoyed putting as much as the other stuff as well. So there's, I find putting practice a bit more of a chore. Mm. And I've also, I also find for me, um, I don't get much out of like, I'll I'll put it, take it back to like hitting shots on a range. I could hit a hundred good shots on a range and take it out on the golf course and I don't feel that confident if I've hit a hundred good shots on the range, but I could hit two shots exactly how I want to on the golf course. And I feel really good about it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I get my confidence from. So I do a lot of my practice on the golf course in that regard. And I'm not sure I've kind of figured out how putting fits into all of that. You know, that again, I, I don't feel like I could hold, I could hold a hundred three footers in a row on the, on the putting green, but, I've never felt that translates that well onto the golf course for me. So I've, I've probably got a little bit to work out going forward in that regard. But yeah, if I just trying to figure out the putting side of things, I've always had probably quite a lot of face rotation in my stroke, which has made it really inconsistent. And earlier this year, I went to the arm lock um, just to try to take some of that rotation out and just purely to try something different. And that worked, that's worked a lot better. Um, you know, I, and for me, I never felt like I needed to be the best putter, but if I could just turn myself statistically into an average putter, just middle of the pack, <clears throat> you know, I, I would compete and 
you know, I'll be there or thereabouts a lot more than, than I have been. Um, and I felt like this year for the most part with the arm lock later in the year, that was, that was true. I did have a couple of bad weeks with it and struggled a little bit speed wise at times, but, um, you know, I, I felt like at least taking some of that face rotation out with, with that lock on the arm, I started a lot more putts online, felt a bit more solid in the shorter ones, and that translated into not necessarily lower scores, but a lot more consistent scores, especially through that UK swing. And, um, you know, I did have a couple of blowouts. I, US Open, I really struggled on the greens. As soon as they got fast, uh, it was the only kind of the only greens I'd putted on all year that was really, really quick. And arm locks are generally really heavy. And I felt like I had. I couldn't take the putter back short enough on a on a five foot putt to actually to hit it soft enough to to have to give it a chance to hold it, and that was a really scary place to be. And I think I took that into the next couple of weeks after that. But um, you know, for the most part, I was more middle of the road putting. Had a couple of weeks where I was probably in the top third of the field on the greens and. Um, you know, if you if you took my ball striking stats over the last four or five years, they've they've generally been pretty consistent. Even 2019, where I had a a little bit of a poor run of it, my ball striking stats were still not that bad compared to how I felt like I was hitting it. So, yeah, just if I can unlock that putter a little bit more, hopefully there's a few more good things to come. Thank you for your honesty there. That's um, yeah, that's uh, you know, it's good to hear. You know, one of the best players in the world here. We're, we're you know, we're, we're amateur golfers. A lot of the lot of people listening here, and you know, they struggle with the the putting and the mental side. And, and to hear, you know, hear your honesty there. That like, but it's good that you you're aware of it, right? <clears throat> you know, it's weak, so, so you're gonna, you know, work hard and improve it. So that's cool. What's um? Yeah. I, sorry, gone. I was just going to say the one for me is to try to find that happy medium between trying to get it on the golf course and get some confidence in it and actually do the technical work on the stroke, which you have to do on the putting green, which is the stuff that I find mentally the hardest to deal with. The one that I find the the hardest to get motivation for at times. I think, yeah, it can be boring, can't it? Like starts the day with a mirror or a mat or a gate and yeah. repeatedly hit it through and through the gate. It can, uh, where driving yeah, it can get it can get really frustrating too. <clears throat> frustrating but just bloody boring so um yeah. making it fun and creative is is key what's your um do you like yeah you know, like creative games what what do you play on the putting green that's sort of fun i know you're saying it's not fun but the the one i used to enjoy the most and i don't do it as much anymore because tour golf doesn't really work like that but just the old you know, we used to do a lot of 72 hole putting comps. You know, nine hole, we did nine holes on the putting green, go there and back twice, or there and back 18, there and back 18, and, you know, best cumulative score one. And that was just purely, that got back to the, that competitive nature that I had growing up, where I didn't, mm. didn't matter how I was going to do it, I was going to beat the other guys that I was doing it with. And that doesn't happen as much on tour. So I probably lost a little bit of that. Um, but I guess the drills that I do a lot, I do sort of a around the world one, um, which three foot, six foot, nine foot at, you know, 12, three, six and nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. And if you hold it, you move forward. If you miss it, you go back. 
So you can be as nasty as you like and put it on a massive slope and be there for an hour, or you can be kind of nice and put it on a flat area and get it done in sort of 10 or 12 minutes. And I think I've only ever got it done once where I've gone my whole way through and, and hold every putt. Um, you know, and it's, it's one of those ones, you know, it's nice to do as much tournament conditions as you can, you know, full routine and everything like that and do it properly. So those are the kind of stuff that I do. I did a little bit of the, the putting games like that with, um, especially with Michael Campbell earlier this year in the UK swing. He was a little bit like me, he likes the idea of the competitive practice. And so him and I would have a few chipping comps and a few putting comps for dinners and stuff like that. And that was, that was really nice to, <clears throat> to break up the monotony of that, that practice. And, you know, in terms of technical stuff, I do a fair bit of string line stuff and just, um, you know, putter gate drills to make sure the, the strokes sort of tracking the right way. And, um, you know, I've messed around with putters all over the place as well as I guess most tour pros have done over the years. So, um, you know, for me, sometimes changing a putter is as good as doing a bunch of practice, just looking down at something different, mm. um, you know, gets rid of all the, the old demons that the previous putter had. And um, it's funny how it works sometimes like that. And then it, Again, that might disappear after two weeks, but if you've had a really good week with a new putter, it doesn't really matter. Sure, it's um, it's interesting when you were saying, <clears throat> excuse me, when back as a kid you were playing putting comps, and like it brings back that competitive nature of like against your dad just want to just kick his ass. I bet you weren't thinking of technique on those shots, right? No, no, you think of where you want to start it, and you know everything else, and that's that's the hard thing you know obviously you want you need to work on or golf in general the technical side of things is important because that makes it easier to repeat it but you've also got to have the you've got to turn it into some kind of reaction you know to mm. golf's the only sport where you've got to start everything everything else you know cricket rugby tennis whatever you react to what comes at you sure. whereas golf you know you've got it's almost a you're almost trying to make it a reaction whereas you pick your targets and you react to your targets and make it unconscious and that's what those games kind of do and it's sometimes it's really hard to get that on the golf course if you're really struggling with something to get there and go okay i just want to there's my line that's where i want to start it and just focus on that instead of like oh where's the ball on my stance or you know what am i doing stroke wise blah 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 so yeah, that's like that's what I enjoyed the most out of those drills. It was more it, it gets you completely out of your own head mm. and purely into I'm just going to beat this dickhead, yeah. Regardless of how many bad parts I hit or not, I'm going to find a way to get it in the hole. You want him to buy you dinner? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and thankfully, I, I did put <clears throat> a few off Cambo, which was nice. I probably owe him a couple as well. <laughs> Happy days. I am um, in the last lockdown. We spoke to um, uh, one of our uh, our junior online lessons. Spoke to um, Paul Dunn, and he says he has the most wonderful oh. chipping comps with Padraig and uh, Shane Lowry. And they put hundred oh, yeah. euro in, and um, you should join them, man. Like they'll 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 let they let oh, you. I've 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 seen <laughs> all three of their short games, and I need a little bit of work, or else I lose a lot of money. That's a good reason to get good quick then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Happy days. Um, right, I'm conscious of your time. Um, 
I thoroughly enjoyed that today. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, really glad to uh, to hear you're enjoying being a father. Get some sleep and uh, I'll yeah. be trying. I'll <laughs> certainly be trying. Brilliant. Well, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. And um, yeah, good luck for the season coming.